All right, open your Bibles, please, to uh, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. We've been going through verse by verse, and uh, we've come to the end of chapter 3, so let me read um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11 to the end of the chapter. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. It's a prayer of uh, the Apostle Paul, and this prayer marks a hinge point in the letter. It divides the letter fairly neatly in uh, half. And so the first half of this letter that Paul writes to the believers in Thessalonians seeks to build up faith. In fact, you could say it seeks to build back faith, uh, build it back up to full assurance, the full assurance that they once had when they first heard the gospel. And they heard it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, uh, the words of God, God himself speaking to them of pardon for uh, sinners and uh, forgiveness uh, and his favor for the most undeserving, and they believed it, and they were really assured of it. It came to them, Paul says, with the power of the Holy Spirit and with much assurance. Um, and they quickly became a shining example to other churches, both near and far. And so uh, Paul writes this because they've uh, their faith has faltered. They're, they don't have much assurance uh, anymore. And so he writes the first three chapters, the first half of this letter to build up their assurance of their faith, to build their faith back up to that uh, full uh, assurance. The second half of the letter, uh, after this point, is where Paul exhorts them to guard against uh, sins and to grow in good works that are pleasing to the Lord, specifically purity, love, and watchfulness for uh, the Lord's uh, return. So it talks about their faith, First, and then works that please uh, the Lord. And there's a reason why faith and assurance is first in this letter and not second. There's a reason why faith and assurance is first, and then he comes to um, talking to them about uh, works of, uh, of holiness. Uh, and it's a, it is a logical reason. It could have been different. It could have been different. He could have said right from the start, I want you to work on purity. I want you to work on love. I want you to work on a correct kind of watchfulness for the Lord's return. And then when you get those things right, then maybe you can really be assured that God's love is for you after you've, after you've done well at those things. No, he does it the other way around. He says, I want you to be assured of God's love for you. Okay, after that, now I want you to work on uh, these things, purity and love and watchfulness uh, for the Lord's uh, return. There's a reason for that, and it's this. It's the persuasion that God graciously receives you in Christ, notwithstanding your former wickedness, that is the real root of assurance. And it's also the work of the work, the root of the works that are the fruits of assurance. Let me say that uh, again. It's the persuasion that God graciously receives you in Christ, notwithstanding your former wickedness. And that's what the gospel promises. That's what the gospel promises. That's the real root of assurance, and it's also the root of the works that are the fruits of that faith and are of that uh, assurance. And so works, good works, like uh, love, like 
purity, like watchfulness, and uh, many more are helps to our assurance of salvation, tell us that we really are saved, our buttresses to it, our evidence uh, of it. But uh, our works, our good works, are not the root of our assurance that God is gracious towards us. For that, it's the gospel uh, itself. In fact, when you make something else some work, some evidence of salvation, when you make that the root of the assurance of God's grace uh, to you, when you make something besides just simply believing God's promises for you, when you make that the root of your assurance of salvation and put some good thing, some good work uh, in that place, like love for God or delight in God or uh, resolve to obey God or watchfulness for Christ's return, and you make your assurance dependent uh, upon that thing, you actually turn that good thing into something else, something that it never was. Uh, you turn that into its man-made shadow. You turn that into its opposite because that thing was never meant to bear that pressure to be the root of your assurance that God uh, loves you. Rather, faith, simply faith, is meant uh, to be uh, the root of your uh, assurance. The Pharisees were great at turning good things into their man-made shadow, into their man-made uh, actually opposite. And uh, they uh, never failed to turn every command of God into its uh, into its opposite. And the Lord uh, spoke to them about that. Mark uh, chapter 7, the Lord said uh, to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of uh, men. These uh, commandments that they did that were done in their own strength in order to earn uh, God's favor, they were done without the joy and the freedom that assurance brings. And so uh, instead of doing them according to God's uh, command, it's, it was easier for them to move the goalposts, make them easier, and actually turn these uh, works uh, that stood between them and God's grace toward them, turned them into something completely different. And so the Lord uh, said to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandments of God in order to te- keep your tradition. And I think the Thessalonians did something similar to that. They did something similar to that with watchfulness. Wa- their watchfulness for Christ's return became their reason for assurance of salvation. I know that God loves me if I'm if I'm watching for him. And uh, I think they uh, ended up turning watchfulness into something totally different than watchfulness for Christ's return was uh, supposed to be. This is why they were uh, especially concerned about people who died, uh, Christians who died uh, in the faith, and they can't be watchful for Christ's return anymore. And so they said, "Well, maybe they're not going to be saved if they're not if they're not watching for Christ's return because they uh, have died. Then maybe when Christ returns, it won't be uh, salvation." For them. And so they turned watchfulness into something that it was never meant to be. Well, Paul's going to, uh, get to correcting their watchfulness for Christ's return and, uh, their purity as well, which needed, uh, attention, uh, for them and also exhorting them to more love. They were already pretty good at that. He's going to get to that in the second half of this, uh, letter. But before that, in the first half of this letter, he reestablishes their assurance of salvation and reestablishes it in the gospel, in simply faith in uh, the gospel promised to them in Christ. 
And you need assurance. You need full assurance that Christ's grace is for you, that his love is for you, that his forgiveness is for you, that his power to save is for you, that when Christ returns, uh, it will mean salvation for you. You need full assurance just because the Christian life is difficult, is arduous, is a battle, because the Christian life suffers setbacks. You have to, you have to deal with setbacks in, uh, the Christian life. It's for these reasons that you need full assurance. You need full assurance that Christ's gospel is for you. His forgiveness is for you. And it's based on faith, uh, alone. You need full assurance because you need Christ's transforming power for the Christian life and not your own power. And God is jealous so that his transforming power is withheld from those who don't cling to his gospel promise, who doubt his gospel promise, or who are suspicious of God and think that he doesn't honor his uh, gospel promise to those who withholds his transforming power. But to those who cling to the promise of uh, Christ as given in his gospel, who consider God to be a promise keeper, what he says about his grace, even to those who don't deserve his grace, it's to those that he gives his transforming power and is transforming uh, holiness. So this is uh, it, this is a, actually a prayer for Christ's transforming power. It comes right in the middle of this letter at a dividing point uh, in this letter, and I've given as uh, the title uh, for this message, The Transforming Power of God in the Life of Faith. So let's look at this uh, prayer. We'll look at it verse by verse. I've, it's three verses, and I've divided my message into three parts. Uh, first, a prayer for Paul and his team. Of, uh, of gospel workers, and that's in verse 11. Second is Paul's prayer for the Thessalonian believers, that's in verse 12. And then third is the aim of Paul's prayer for the Thessalonian believers, and that's in verse 13. So first, the prayer for Paul and um, his fellow missionaries, his uh, team of uh, gospel workers, and his prayer for them is reunion, reunion. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. Direct our way back to you. We want to be reunited to you. And that's what we're uh, praying uh, for here. That was Paul's prayer for himself and uh, his team. Now, let me point out just a few things about this prayer uh, from the outset. One is it's not exactly a prayer. When we pray to God, we pray in, to him in the second person. Lord, would you do this? Would you direct our way uh, back to uh, the Thessalonians? And this is in the third person. Uh, may our God and Father direct our, and, and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. So this is kind of like what we do in a, with a blessing, like may the Lord bless you. Maybe you say something like that when someone sneezes or something. May God bless you. And uh, that's it's a it's a blessing. We call it that. It's it's a prayerful wish. And uh, so Paul is saying that to the Thessalonians, and of course he's saying this to God too. That's the that's the whole point is. Uh, uh, to pray this to God uh, as well. And so he's telling the uh, Thessalonians what he's praying uh, concerning uh, them. So uh, this is a, it's a, a prayer or a report of a prayer. It's a, it's a prayerful wish towards uh, the Thessalonians. It's very much uh, like a prayer. I've called it that. And uh, he uh, prays here in a way that shows that Christ is God. And I just point that out as well at the outset of uh, this prayer. Notice how he prays here. 
or he pronounces this upon them. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And the only way for him to ever say that about Jesus our Lord is if he is God, to put him right on par with God our Father himself and Jesus our Lord and, and to pray uh, to both of them. Uh, and so it's a, it's a real testament to the deity of Christ and in a very natural way. You know, he's not saying, I need to make a big point about the deity of Christ. He's just praying. And it, uh, the deity of Christ uh, really comes through in, in almost a, a casual way. Uh, we don't pray to Mary. We don't pray to people. You know, we, we would never say this. May God himself and Mary, his mother, do this for you. So this, there's something wrong there uh, uh, with that. And, and so you wouldn't pray to dead saints. Uh, Paul wouldn't pray, may God, our father himself, and Stephen, who was martyred before him. Or James, the apostle, who was martyred uh, before Paul. May he direct our way uh, to you. But he has no problem saying, may God, our Father himself, and Jesus, our Lord, may they direct our way to you. Has, it's very fitting, and it's because Jesus is God. And so uh, Paul equates uh, the two in a, in a very uh, natural, offhand almost uh, way. Uh, not that he does this uh, casually, but it's, it comes out of him naturally and uh, uh, spontaneously to pray to God the Father and uh, Jesus our Lord in that way. And um, the grammar is even uh, uh, an argument here um, because uh, it's it's a uh, two subjects of this, but it's a singular verb. It's a, not a plural verb. You can't really see that in English, but you can see it in um, uh, Greek, and it, it even more fortifies that uh, Jesus is God. God doesn't share his glory with another, certainly not a human being, but he does share his glory with his son, Jesus, because he is uh, uh, God. And so they share a singular verb uh, to may they direct uh, the way, but it's really for one. It's it's may he direct uh, our way uh, to you because they have one will. And so uh, Paul prays uh, in that way. Paul says that uh, God is our God, and he's including the Thessalonians with him, and Jesus is our Lord. And so that's a, another way to build up the faith. That's what he's trying to do here is build up the faith of the uh, Thessalonians who who have encountered doubts, have crept in about whether or not they're truly God's child or not. And so Paul, even in this prayer, uh, says uh, God is our God with you, mine with you, and Jesus is our Lord. He's, he's mine uh, with you. So the prayer is that... Uh, God, the Father, and Jesus, our Lord, would direct uh, our way back to you, Paul says, of um, himself and uh, his workers. He's, he's uh, told them before that he wanted to go back to them, and Satan prevented him from doing it on this case. And so he's uh, praying that that would be reversed and that he'd be able to uh, come back uh, to them. So it's a prayer for reunion, but actually the prayer for reunion is, is actually a prayer for their faith. He hasn't lost sight of that. He's been talking about that for three chapters. And a prayer for that their faith might be built back up to assurance, to, to really believing the gospel promise, really believing that the gospel promises for them is God speaking uh, to uh, uh, them. And so uh, he's not just praying, may God direct our way to you because we miss you and we'd really like to see you again. We'd really like to be with you again. I'm sure that uh, was uh, true. But actually, he wanted to be with them in order to build up their faith. And he felt like he could do it in person much better than by letter. And so this is actually the completion of uh, what he what he was wishing for in verse 10 as we and praying for. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face for this reason and may complete what is lacking in your faith. 
That's what uh, Paul uh, wanted to do. That's that's the real reason why he wanted to see them, is to complete what is lacking in their faith. And they had lack in their faith. Their faith hadn't been snuffed out, uh, but it was um, now mixed with doubts that had crept in. The tempter had uh, planted doubts uh, in their mind about whether God's promise was really for them, whether they truly were uh, saved and whether uh, Christ was uh, truly a savior for them, whether when the king returned, he would return as a savior uh, to uh, to them. So the prayer for reunion is really a, a prayer uh, for faith, or at least with, with faith in view uh, for them. And uh, it's why Paul sent Timothy to them in person, um, and he's hoping that they all can, all three of them, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, uh, that their way, way would be directed back. But he's already sent Timothy, and it was to strengthen their faith. It was to do that very thing. That's in verse 2. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. And so uh, Timothy was actually kind of new to this team. This was Paul's second missionary journey, and Timothy had just joined in. Uh, and so uh, when Paul sent Timothy back alone, this was one of uh, Timothy's first of many missions where his job would be to act as an extension of Paul when Paul couldn't be in two places at once. Timothy was Paul's um, spiritual son. Paul calls Timothy his true son and like father, like son. And so uh, Timothy had been there to do this very thing uh, in person for them is to strengthen and encourage them as to their faith. And he did it with the gospel. That's the way to strengthen and encourage someone's faith is by preaching the gospel. Preaching in person is even better. And uh, so uh, Timothy went as uh, God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage their uh, uh, faith. So uh, Paul's prayer he gives here. In the middle of uh, the epistle, he starts out his prayer for himself and his team in ministry. It's a prayer for reunion, but for a reason. And the reason is uh, faith, that it might grow up to uh, full uh, assurance. Well, that's the prayer for Paul and his team, and it goes right into the prayer for the Thessalonian believers. And his prayer for the Thessalonian believers is love, is love. Uh, verse 12, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. And so his prayer is, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love. When uh, Paul says, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love, he doesn't mean um, against your will. He doesn't mean may the Lord uh, coerce you uh, to love while you're uh, dragging your feet. Um, um He's expecting it along the lines of uh, what he says in um, uh, Philippians 2, for verse 13. It is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So may God cause you to desire this. May he inspire you to uh, abound and to increase in uh, love for, uh, for one another. So. What he really means when he says, may God cause you uh, to increase and abound uh, in love and uh, may God be the, the, may the Lord be the cause uh, of this. He doesn't mean to cause you against your will, but he, he means uh, may he inspire you with a kind of love that comes from him, the kind of love that comes from him, the kind of love that he's the cause of. 
that the, that the Lord is the cause of, the kind that proceeds from the loving heart of the Lord. Our prayers that you would increase and abound in that kind of love. The prayer is to increase and to abound. He gives two words for it. And some have said, well, Paul's just sort of uh, piling up words for emphasis and they kind of mean the same thing. But uh, they don't mean exactly the same uh, thing. Uh, the word increase means just that, to grow. That's what his prayer is, that they would grow in love. And to abound means to overflow. So may you increase and may you overflow in love for one another and uh, for all people. And that's the nature of the kind of love that comes from the Lord as the source, the cause uh, of the kind of love that comes uh, from him. It doesn't just flow, but it overflows. So you think of that with water. Um, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're trying to make a sink that works, you, you make it flow. That's the whole point. If it overflows, you've got a different problem. You've got an excess of, uh, of, uh, of water. But what he's talking about here is not that just that your love for one another would flow, but that it would increase and overflow, that there would be an excess of that love. And so this is like when you ask somebody, maybe a fellow believer, would you, would you forgive me for this? And they say, not only will I forgive you, it's my joy to forgive you. And I've already forgiven you. And I would forgive you for more than that if you did something more than that, because my love for you is not just enough to meet the need. It is uh, overflowing. That's a difference between the love that comes from Christ, that he's the cause of, and the man-made shadow, the love that comes from man, the love that comes uh, uh, out of your own strength, uh, versus the love that comes from Christ and comes by faith is grasped uh, by uh, faith. The love that's the man-made shadow, the love that is actually turned into something that's not uh, love at all, is love that, when it exists, it's, it always is just barely clearing the hurdle. It's always, uh, it's always a close call. It's always, well, I love you enough to do this for you, to forgive you or to do something else uh, for you, but we're pushing up right against the limits of my love for you. And it's right in sight right here as I'm forgiving you of this or as I'm doing this uh, for you. We're all, we're coming up to the limit of my love for you. The love that's the man-made shadow, the kind that comes from self uh, and not from Christ is a love that's always calculating, always measuring, always uh, parceling out. It's not a love that overflows. It's inexhaustible like a fountain. And that's the kind of love that he's praying for. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for uh, one another and uh, uh, for all people. It's a love that overflows. It's a love that doesn't count. It's a love that doesn't estimate. It's a love that doesn't uh, calculate. Uh, you may have to estimate your time or your money. You, you, you do have a finite uh, amount of that, but you shouldn't be estimating your love. And when somebody's limited by those things and they have an uh, overflowing love behind it, the loved one knows. The loved one knows that it's it, that love is spilling through uh, the cracks of whatever limits are are uh, in place because it's love that has uh, no uh, limits. So the love that comes from Christ is a love that is an overflowing uh, love, and it's also a love that is often in spite of worthiness. 
it's, it's a love that flows to the most unworthy. That's the kind of love that comes from the Lord. And that's another thing that separates it from uh, a love that comes from self. It's only for uh, the worthy. And so this love specifically, it says, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. And you might think, well, maybe other Christians have done something worthy of your love. And for all people, for all people, that's those who aren't saved, who uh, perhaps haven't done anything at all to uh, deserve that uh, that love. The love that's the man-made shadow, the love that's not really love, uh, it's the love of the Gentiles. It's the love that the unsaved have. And uh, it's not really love. It goes by that name, but it's really a presentable and whitewashed form of selfishness. It's actually a form, it's a, it's a refined form of self-preservation. And uh, the Lord talks about that, this, this kind of love. This is not the kind of love that he's praying for, but a, a different kind of love in Matthew chapter 5, 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about a love that's a perfect kind of love because it flows out even to the most uh, un, unworthy. So this is the love of Christ. It's a love for one another in the church. And it's not just contained to these nice people in church uh, that are next to you, but also to those outside the walls of the church that uh, even in our opinion, we can see how they're, uh, undeserving, let's say, of uh, this uh, love. And that's the kind of love that comes from Christ. You might say, well, does Christ's love really extend to all? I thought Christ died only for the sins of the those that the Father predestined to save and his sacrifice is perfect justice. He doesn't he doesn't die for the sins of those who the Father didn't predestine. He dies for the sins only of uh, those that the Father uh, predestined uh, to save so that uh, each person's sins are either paid for at the cross or they're paid for in an eternity in hell for the Lord's uh, perfect uh, uh, justice. And yes, that's true. That's true. And that sometimes goes by uh, the name of the doctrine of limited uh, atonement, other names, perhaps better names uh, uh, for it. Uh, and the Bible teaches that. But the point at issue there is God's purpose in sending his son to die and Christ's purpose in offering himself voluntarily. Was it his purpose to save everybody or was it his purpose to save his own uh, people? It was his purpose to save his own people. But don't think because of that, that those who hear the gospel uh, message as if from God's mouth to uh, them are not guilty of rejecting a God of love to them and are not guilty of rejecting a message of God's love uh, to them. In fact, uh, Christ, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 9, 36. Um, Christ says, seeing the people, he just sees a, a big group of people out on a, on a hillside. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And I don't know if I can explain all that, make it all work, but Christ feels compassion. He feels love for all. Uh, and his love, uh, it's the nature of his love to extend to the most uh, undeserving. So do you love those who are not saved? Do you love uh, the person who has Portland values, let's say, um, with a love that's increasing 
and is uh, abounding with an excess. You've actually got too much. You've actually got too much because that love is uh, uh, overflowing. If you don't have that kind of love for the unsaved, then it's probably a good sign that you love the saved for the wrong reason or your spouse for the wrong reason or your family or your kids uh, for uh, the, the wrong reason. And if so, if you love them for the wrong reason or love them with the wrong kind of love, that's not the kind of love that's going to increase and abound as the Lord causes it uh, to grow. No, that's the kind of love that's going to reach a limit and then diminish because it's a love based on what they do uh, for what they do for you. So if you don't love the lost with a love that's increasing and overflowing, uh, it's a good sign that maybe you don't love even your fellow saints with the right uh, kind of love. And it's also a good sign that you don't grasp the Lord's love for you or don't grasp it as well as you should. Because his love for you is a love for, he loved you while you were an enemy. He loved you when, when you were undeserving, when you, when you had nothing to offer. And that's the kind of love that he continues to love you with. That's the kind of love that he has an excess of uh, for you. And uh, when we grasp that kind of love in our sinfulness, uh, it's, a, it's a love that uh, increases in us and uh, abounds uh, in us uh, as well. And so perhaps uh, you can see why this kind of love can only be grasped by faith and can only be grasped by faith alone that rises up to full assurance, not because of any worthiness, but because it grasps its own unworthiness as it trusts in uh, the gospel of uh, Christ. Well, Paul prays for this kind of uh, increasing and abounding love uh, for the Thessalonians and in their church and also for all uh, people. But uh, there's a real life model, uh, a human model uh, for this that the Thessalonians knew about and were familiar with. And Paul keeps reminding them of this again and again, actually as an index of God's love for them, which they've begun uh, to doubt. It's Paul's love for the Thessalonians, and it's uh, Timothy's and Silas's as well. And so he says, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. And so he uh, matches it. He he uh, puts, puts up uh, something to compare it with. Uh, and uh, it's his love uh, for them, which is not stationary. It's a living love. It's a growing love uh, for them. Paul had this kind of love for them when they were first converted a little, and now he has more of it, and it's growing, and it's overflowing uh, for them, but it's always the same kind of love that he had uh, for them, just as we also do for you. So they knew about this kind of love that Paul prayed for uh, for them, and we do too. We have, we have this kind of love for each other, a, a love that the Lord causes for uh, one another, and we need to have it more. So make this your prayer uh, as well. Well, Paul's prayer for love for the Thessalonians has uh, an aim. Actually, the whole prayer is really uh, connected. So first we looked at uh, the prayer for Paul and his team. It's for reunion with uh, this church that they loved. Um, the prayer for the Thessalonians, it's for love. It's for love that increases and uh, abounds. The aim of the prayer for the Thessalonians is for stability. I want your love to increase for this reason, that your hearts might be stable. 
might be unshaken. And so he says this, uh, I'll start in verse 12. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The purpose why Paul was praying for abounding and increasing love uh, for them is that so that he might make firm, might make solid, might make unshakable their hearts, their hearts. Uh, the heart in scripture is not just the seat of the emotions. It's kind of how we talk about it on Valentine's Day or uh, when you look at a heart uh, symbol. Uh, but it, it, in scripture, it speaks of not just the emotions, but the entire person, the thoughts. A man thinks in his heart, uh, your feelings, everything about your uh, inner uh, life. And so uh, he prays that your love might abound, that he might establish your inner person, that he might make it firm and solid and uh, un- unshakable. And this is not just a prayer for personal calm and confidence, but of a specific kind, that he might establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints, so that your hearts might not be shaken, so that when Christ returns, that's what he's talking about, uh, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints, that you might not be embarrassed, that you might not be fearful of the Lord's return or shrinking away in uh, uh, shame, uh, but that you might greet it with a firm and steady uh, heart. That's what the Thessalonians wanted. That's what they were. That's what they had lost. This uh, firmness, this unshakableness in the in the face of the Lord's uh, return. And so this is why Paul prays that their love might uh, abound. Uh, he prays that they might have this before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so Christ is coming again. He's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming with his saints. And Paul's going to explain that to them uh, when we get to uh, uh, chapter 4. But they had lost this. They had lost this firmness in their heart. And what caused them to lose it is trials, afflictions. Uh, as Paul wrote already in verse 3 of this chapter when he was talking about sending Timothy to strengthen and encourage uh, their faith so that no one would be shaken by these uh, afflictions, by these afflictions. And so trials had come to this new church and to these new believers, and uh, their faith had grown shaky, their hearts had grown shaky, and their watchfulness for the Lord's return had grown shaky. It showed up in the way that they watched for uh, Christ's uh, return. Watchfulness for Christ's return True watchfulness, the, the real watchfulness, uh, is intended to permeate everything that you do for the Lord with a sense of optimism, with a sense, my king is, is coming. The king is going to return and he's going to set everything right. And so that's what watchfulness is uh, intended uh, to do. The uh, mutant variant of watchfulness, and that's what theirs had become uh, when they lost sight of faith and assurance in the gospel was not uh, any sense of optimism, but it was a, a watchfulness with a sense of dread, with a sense of, I wonder if when the king returns, if it will be good news for me. I wonder if he returns, if he's going to return as a friend or if he's going to return as an enemy uh, towards me. And trials can shake us. Trials can convert the true watchfulness to that other kind of uh, watchfulness, make us uncertain of 
what the gospel tells you is true or if what the gospel tells you is really for you and really of uh, God's love for you. And then it sidelines you for the task of hand, at hand, which is to seek the Lord's kingdom and his uh, righteousness uh, and sidelines you towards watching for him in a, in a way that he never intended you uh, to watch uh, for him. So how do you become firm in your hearts without blame and holiness before the, the coming of uh, the Lord? Well, the answer is faith and love. It's to grasp the Lord's love for you, according to the gospel, by faith and make it yours and to abound uh, in it. There's no stability without abounding in that love. There's no holiness. There's no blamelessness without abounding, grasping that love by faith and then increasing and abounding in it. So let me finish this message uh, in this way. Christ is coming soon. Christ is coming soon. The king is returning. Are you ready? Are you ready for his return? And there's only one way for you to be ready. is to be increasing and abounding in his love. So are you increasing and abounding as an instrument of his love uh, for others? His love, the love that you're to increase and abound in, is not uh, a natural love. It's not an outgrowth of uh, self-preservation. It's supernatural. It's not from uh, this fallen world. It's an extraterrestrial visitor from the bosom of the Father. It's the love that sent Christ uh, to the cross. It's the love of a, 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 of a totally different kind than what the world calls uh, love. And it's given to undeserving sinners uh, like you. And that's the love that you're meant to uh, abound in. So are you ready for Christ's return? And let me ask you the same question. It has the same answer, really. Uh, and it's this. Are you ready to engage all the challenges of our time with faithfulness to the Lord, with a steadfast heart, so that when he comes, he finds you busy and he finds you to be faithful? The answer is the same to that question. And there's only one way to do it is to be increasing and abounding in his love. That's what's needed most for the challenges of the day, as complicated as they uh, are, is to be increasing and abounding in love for your church, for your family, for your, for your spouse, uh, for your children, and for your neighbors, for your neighbors uh, as well. Let that be your measure of your faithfulness to, uh, to the Lord in meeting the challenges of this time and your measure uh, of, of how ready you are for Christ's uh, return as well. So uh, may you count your blessings the, that you have a God like this, with a love like this, and then make prayers, Paul, for the Thessalonian believers, your prayer for yourself and for Trinity Bible Church. Let's pray. Dear, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love that comes to us through the gospel, and there's no... Um, price tag on this uh, love that comes to us in the gospel, it's freely given. In fact, that's the only way it's given. It's given freely, and so that's why it's received by faith, and faith uh, alone. And then, Father, we thank you that uh, through showing us your favor, showing us you're the kind of God that you are, that your love is the kind of love that it is that you transform us to being persons who are characterized by love. And uh, it's a love that increases 
in us as we grow and uh, abounds so that we have more than we need uh, for the tasks uh, that are at hand. Father, we pray that if there's anybody uh, listening to my voice uh, who is a stranger to this uh, love, is a stranger to the gospel, that they might uh, abandon all hope uh, in themselves, abandon all hope in their righteousness, abandon all hope of salvation uh, in any other way by anything that they've done, uh, but might come to you as a sinner, might come to Christ uh, as a sinner, might hear the message of uh, the free salvation that's offered for those who will put their trust in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that they might trust him and then be uh, converted uh, by this love that uh, takes charge uh, of us and uh, transforms us. And uh, for those of us who have accepted your love and our, your children, we pray that you might not abandon us, but that you might uh, increase, cause your love uh, in us to increase and to overflow. And uh, Father, we look forward to the return of Christ. We welcome it. We pray that we might uh, think often of uh, Christ's return and think of it uh, fondly as uh, our King coming with great power uh, to vindicate us and to uh, reward us and to bring his uh, kingdom, which we are a part of. And we pray in his name. Amen.